Okay, so I am in Isaiah 60. Now, the way we decided, Isaiah 61, excuse me, the way we decided to look at Advent was to look at it sort of via Isaiah or to walk through Advent um, uh, by journeying through the book of Isaiah. And I'm not going to dig back into it too much, but you could actually go back to the first, I can't remember my first or second Sunday on the podcast, but we talked about um, how Isaiah was written 750 years before Christ Jesus came. And then we talked about how the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually pulled out of the caves over in Israel at a place called Qumran and how it uh, uh, verified that, um, in fact, Isaiah was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. So a lot of, I think, significance there that our faith does, in fact, hold water. It makes sense. It adds up. um, And there is a lot of actually logic behind this thing we call faith. So we've been walking through this book of Isaiah, and we're going to end with Isaiah 61. I suspect that you have read this before or heard it read. Um, And then we're going to cross-reference where the Lord Jesus reads it in Luke chapter 4. And I actually asked Eric if he would come up. Um, and read both of these for us. So we're going to do the entirety of Isaiah 61, and then we're going to do a portion of Luke 4, I think picking up in verse maybe 14? 14, yep. 14. This is my dear friend Eric. He has a heart for the Lord and for prayer like you wouldn't believe. He covers salt box on the back end. He leads our prayer in here um, at 9 a.m. every Sunday, and it's possible that what happens in there is actually more important than what's going on out here. Thank you, Eric. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called the priest of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness." As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. We're going to flip to Luke 4, and we're going to read uh, verses, I think, starting in 14, and we're going to go all the way to verse 21. 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Lord, would you be pleased with the reading of your most holy word? Lord, would you release your presence in this place? Father, as we lift up your word, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would interact in us and through us, that you would change us, conform us, and fill us with the life of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That is my sweet pumpkin back there, in case you didn't know. Uh, so if we, we do have a family service today. If you, their kids are making some noise, that is no big deal. We're just going to roll with it. We'll be back to our normal schedule starting next week. Sound good? All right. Okay, so I want to give you a little background here. Um, as we looked at Isaiah, um, I, we talked a little bit about him, and he, he writes this, Isaiah 61, towards the end of his ministry career. He ministered for 60 years. He preached the gospel for 60 years. And how many people did we say responded? Anybody remember? Zero. Nobody responded. His entire life, he gives 60 years of his life preaching the gospel and not one person responds. What a call. What a sacrifice. And what was interesting is for the first part of his entire ministry, he's actually uh, declaring to the people of uh, the city of Jerusalem and Judah, the southern two tribes of, of Israel, um, he was saying judgment is going to come if you don't change. And guess what the people didn't do? They did not change. And so he spent years and years and years going, you got to change, you got to repent, you got to turn back to God, and they never did. And then ultimately, what happened? Judgment came. And actually, Babylon carried away uh, the, the, um, all of the people in Jerusalem and in Judah. And so what happened is the king of Babylon actually forced marched the people 500 miles across the desert and led them into uh, Babylon. And so what began to happen then is all of a sudden God shifts the gears on Isaiah. Has God ever shifted the gears in your life? You're going one way, you're going one way, and all of a sudden he shifts. So Isaiah has been literally declaring bad things are going to come. You guys got to repent. You got to turn back to God. Well, once bad things come, what does Isaiah start to declare? He says a little bit. He doesn't say a little bit of that. I told you. What else? Anybody? What's he start to declare? All of a sudden, he shifts gears. I'm going to go back and read a, a verse or two. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. They will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So all of a sudden, Isaiah's message begins to shift from one of you must repent to what? Good days are ahead. 
It's this amazing sort of cataclysmic shift in the book of Isaiah because he's going, you got to repent, you got to repent, you got to repent. Then the Lord's judgment comes by way of Babylon overtaking uh, the Israelite nation. And then he starts saying, good days are coming again. And he starts actually foretelling that positive things are on the horizon for the country of Israel, for the people who've been captured. And I think what's interesting here as we uh, then flip and we'll look at Christ here in a second, but is uh, the spirit sort of in the country of of the the entire place would have been one of great despair. They would have been forced marched across the desert with little water, probably 500 miles in 60 days, best guess. And guess what would have happened to probably some men and some women and some children along that march? They would have died. That's exactly right. They would have fallen out. Have you ever been to the Mideast? Anybody who's been in any country of the Mideast? A few people. It is dry. It is arid. It is gnarly. So they were literally, they've lost their homes, they've lost their country, they've lost their place of safety, they've lost everything. Many of them have lost spouses, they've lost children. They are in a place of utter and total despair. They are in utter despair. They want to give up on life. And you know what? You may be sitting out there today going, man, I think I might be there. And I would say, take heart. Take heart. So Isaiah literally comes in and he's been saying the judgment of the Lord is coming. And now all of a sudden he literally says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Now say anointed me. One more time. Now that's the little word that I actually want to work off of today. And I want to flip and we're going to look at the New Testament that, that Eric just read for us. And he literally, so Isaiah stands up and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, 750 years later, there's this guy named Jesus. Come on, Emily. Thank you. I love some interaction. We're a small church right now, so let's interact and have some fun. My thanks to you. Um, So there's this guy named Jesus, and Jesus has grown up in some measure of poverty. He is actually um, a carpenter. If if you look at the Greek word, it means he was actually probably a builder. And in the Middle East, people build mostly with what? Who knows? Brick and rock. Somebody said it. That's exactly right. So he was probably a general contractor. He did probably work with wood, but he also probably worked with stone. He's a builder. And he has literally just been um, released into ministry. He was tested in the wilderness. And then it says um, he he was released into ministry. Verse 14 of that chapter 4. I want to read it. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit capital S, Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he's going from synagogue to synagogue, and he's teaching. Now, here's what happened that I just uh, love, is he rolled into the synagogue, probably a little bit like Eric. Is Eric still in the room? He's back there now. A little bit like Eric uh, got up this morning, and I sent Eric a text at 7 a.m. and said, hey, Eric, you're a friend of mine. I'm going to presume upon our friendship. Would you mind reading these two chunks of Scripture? Now, Jesus probably rolled into the synagogue that same way in this little town called Nazareth, which is where he grew up, and probably the synagogue leader said, sent him a text message at 7 a.m., and said, hey, Jesus, will you get up and read in the synagogue today? And so you have Jesus who takes this scroll, and that's what it would have been. He would have unfurled the scroll, and it literally says, he un- unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has, 
Let's try that again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Father, as we unpack these two passages of Scripture, would you awaken us and enliven us, and would you give me the words and the ability to preach the hope-filled, joy-filled, love-filled gospel of Christ Jesus in these two passages as we conclude 2019 in your name. Amen. I have five points that I want to pull from both of these um, sort of texts. And the last thing I think I need to say as we sort of set the table for this is it literally says that he read from this scroll, and then what did he do? Rolled it back up, handed it to the attendant, and then he sat down. This is very important. We actually did a little series called Sit, Walk, Stand not a few weeks ago. But Jesus actually sits down. It's important for two reasons. Number one, he's beginning his ministry from a place of rest. So literally, if you look at um, the Latin translation um, of the Bible, uh, there's this interesting little word. See if I can find it. It is called ex cathedra, and it literally means from the seat. It actually means um, from a place of sitting down. Now, go with me here just a minute. We just studied Ephesians, and in Ephesians, we looked at who's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Who? Jesus. And then who's seated there with him? I heard it. We are. Okay, let's say that again. Who first is seated at the right hand of God the Father? Jesus. Who's then seated with him there? All right, let's switch and say, I am. All right, who's therefore seated at the right hand of God the Father with Christ Jesus? We are seated. So there's this positional spot where you are literally, he is starting his ministry from a place of total rest before God the Father. There is no striving. There is no working. There is no work harder, build it stronger, do more, push harder. No, 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 no. He literally reads the scroll and hands it back and sits down. And then he began to teach them from a place of seatedness. And he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So the first thing that immediately happens is we see Jesus launching this cataclysmic, world-changing ministry that we are still feeling the repercussions of 2,000 years later, and he launches it from a place of sitting, rest. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. Study the first two chapters of Ephesians if you'd like to see a little more detail on that. But he starts it from a place of rest. The second thing that I think we at least have to pay note to here is he stops reading in Isaiah right before it says, let me flip back here in my Bible, right before it says in verse 2, and the day of vengeance of our God. He stops reading right before it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. wonder why. Why would Jesus roll that scroll up and hand it back before it talks about God's vengeance. Here's why. We live in an age of grace. We live in an age of the Lord's loving kindness. Now, will Christ Jesus come back if you read Revelation and judge? Yes. 
But we are now in an age of grace. And I believe that the Lord Jesus rolled that scroll back up and handed it over because he went, the day of vengeance is not yet. It'll happen. Make no mistake. It'll happen. But it is not yet. We live in an age of grace. So let's take these uh, two passages and let's pull out five points. And the first point, these are kind of fiercely practical as much as I could make them so. Um, But the first point that I want to point out is uh, to grow where you are planted. Now, I hear Christians all the time. I actually think it's a byproduct of um, uh, probably the American culture. Because we tell our kids, you can be anything you want, and you can do anything you want, and you can go to the moon, and you can be a this. Some of that's true. Is all of it true? Some little person that's just grown up with all this look at me and go, hmm, maybe. There's certain gifts and skill sets that God has created in each of us, and therefore there's probably certain inclinations that we have. Can any of us do anything? Probably not. So, so part of the role of sort of life is to find out what is he uniquely gifted and anointed us to do, and then what are we called to do, and then be about doing it. I hear Christians all the time, especially uh, as they're graduating high school, going into uh, their college years, and, and it's like this, what am I going to do? And I could go here, and I could do this. And I want to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Here he is, Christ Jesus himself, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and he did 18 months of his ministry in this little lake region called Galilee, 19 miles from where he was raised. He didn't cross the ocean. He didn't go to the moon. He didn't become a fireman. Nothing against firemen. I have a brother-in-law who's a wonderful fireman, or was. But, But here's the point. God has called us to literally grow and thrive where we are, where we're planted, right where you are. And to the degree that you spend your life going, oh, what should I be doing and where could I go and what could I, you may be missing the very thing that the Spirit of God has anointed you to do right here and right now. I see more Christians miss the gracious hand of God and the purposeful hand of God in their lives because they're so busy sort of both navel-gazing and looking around at all their options, they miss what's right in front of them. We had a um, Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, imagine that. And after Christmas Eve service, we went over to Brian and Lindy Forge House. One of y'all wave at us, or both of y'all wave at us. One of the things I loved is um, there was all sorts of people there who did not come to the Christmas Eve service. It was amazing. Now, why do you think they were there? Why? They were invited. Oh. They don't like Christians. Oh, my goodness. They don't. Can you imagine? I don't like Christians. Sometimes. That's true. Sometimes. Here's what I loved. Brian and Lindy had been out in their neighborhood building relationships with people for literally months and years, and guess who wanted to come? Their neighbors, the people they've been sharing with. They are literally growing right where they're planted. They're going, you know what? Here we are in Masonboro Forest. This is the place you've planted us, and we are going to reach out and love on our little neighborhood. And when they throw a party, guess who wants to come? All their non-believing neighbors. Come on! That's the gospel of Christ Jesus at work. Lindy texted me that we were there for a little while, and then we went home and put our youngest to bed, and 
Lindy texted me at the end of the night and said, I'm sorry to text you so late, but um, one of my neighbors uh, met you and couldn't believe that you were a Christian because you weren't weird. <laughs> True, right? It was, there were some more colorful aspects, but that was, that was the essence of it. That was the essence of it. But here's the point. We spend so much time looking around, and you literally have Christ Jesus, who 19 miles from where he was raised spent the entirety, well, 18 months of his life in ministry. He spent the other time both traveling and down, down in Jerusalem, like right where he started. And then, go back to our Old Testament passage, you've got Isaiah, this incredible prophet. And so uh, pre-Babylonian captivity, what's he, he is literally growing and preaching right where he's planted, right? And then he gets hauled away to Babylon, and then what's he do? Preaches there. The message shifts. But you're starting to see what I'm saying? It's like we make this, uh, this really hard sort of thing about how do I live under the anointing um, of God, how do, I, how do I live in such a way that I could say that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me? Like, like um, let's think about that a second. How do we live in such a way that we could say the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me? So let's, let's pause and talk about this just a second. Um, anointed um, means to literally uh, pour oil over the head of a person. Literally what it means. Um, in, uh, there's a Greek word, I probably don't even need to get into that, but it's, it's cryo, and it means to literally rub or anoint uh, or pour oil over someone, and it represents the presence and purpose of God in Scripture, okay? So um, there's probably two groups of people in America. You've got people who are super word-based churches who are scared of the word anointed because they're like, what's it mean? And they avoid it. And then there's other people who probably overuse it and slap it on everything and go, it's the anointing of God. Well, maybe. But here, I want to sort of demystify it, and I want to actually talk about it um, and go, what is it? And then as we're leaving 219 and headed into 220, how can we as a church, how can we as individuals actually be able to live and say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me? That's my heart for my life and for yours. So the question is then, how do we, how do we get there? Now, um, have you ever dumped oil on your head? Anybody? Not many? It, well, okay, <laughs> Venus has. Uh, you know, think of olive oil, like thick, fresh-pressed, extra virgin olive oil. You get that on your skin, and what happens? It's hard to get off, isn't it? Like it stays. You've got to use like heavy grease-cutting soap to get that off. That is the picture. It's like once the presence of God has been literally poured over you, you are under it. You are in it. And you have this really neat Old Testament, New Testament dichotomy. I'm not going to dig too deep into this. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord is on you. In the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord is both on you and in you. Ah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We're not going to fully dig into that today. But here's the deal. How do we live under that anointing? How do we live in sort of that place where we go, he has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the gospel? So number one is grow where you're planted. Number two, it's really simple. Here it is, obedience. Obedience. Um, when we first named Saltbox, Saltbox, uh, there was different conversation, and I had some friends, and one of the concerns was box is 
uh, can be negative because you tend to go, we're, we're in a box. It can have a negative connotation. Um, in fact, a lot of people would use that as kind of a point of criticism. You're, you're living in a box. You're boxed in. You're boxed out. There's a number of different ways you could use that. But, 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 here's why I actually um, love it, is because um, a box, when you are in a box or when you are boxed in, it forces you to get creative with your time, energy, and resources, and you can actually, I believe, do more with less. Some of you are like, what? All right. Um, When uh, the greatest inventions in the world... Do they come out of a surplus of resources? Think about that a second. We could pick any invention. Did an invention happen out of a surplus of resources or out of want and need? Always want and need. Always. Now, now, I, you know, we want, at some point I want to do a series on David and Goliath, and I don't want to go in here fully. But, but think about David and Goliath a second. Just, just, just think back to that story. You've probably read it. If you haven't, you've got the Philistines and the Israelites in a valley in between, and they're fighting a war, and neither of them want to lose a bunch of men at war, so they send this big dude, Goliath, down into a valley, and he's like eight feet tall, and he's got like several hundred pounds of like armor on, and he's got this big javelin and this big sword, and he's ready to fight, but he's ready to fight how? Up close, personal, hand-to-hand combat. And up comes little 16-year-old David. And how's David come down into that valley? With a sling? Yep, would have been a leather sling that he probably swung like this. And what, five, who knows, stones. Did he wear any armor? No. Did he carry a sword? No. So how could he move? Light and fast. Light and fast. And that sling that he's got? How far can that thing sling? Anybody have any idea? A couple hundred yards, literally. So you typically think of things, and we read this Old Testament scripture, even we look at Jesus, we look at Isaiah that we're looking at today, but you've got this David and Goliath, and you've got Goliath who's standing there, and he's like a brute beast in hand-to-hand combat. He is ready to destroy you in hand-to-hand combat. There is no way you are going to get one up on this guy because he's got a javelin that's like 10 feet long, and you get anywhere near him, he's going to get you. But David, David, because of his limitations... Because he is in a box. He's 16 years old. All he's ever done is tended sheep. He has fought against bear. He has fought against lions. He is wedged in. And he decides, I'm going to use what I have, which is I am light and I am quick and I'm not wearing one little piece of armor. I'm not even carrying a sword. I don't even have a knife on me. And I'm going to run and I'm going to attack long range where that big old javelin can't get me. You follow me? There's something beautiful that happens when you actually embrace the limitations and the spot where God has you. Because I am convinced that out of those limitations comes ingenuity, creativity, and the Spirit of God. Salt box. Lord, let us embrace our limitations, our cafeteria, our tables. Serious. Serious. I was in... Uh, traveling through uh, Turkey a few years ago with the chairman of our elder board, Clive Calvert, right over here. And we were in a place called Laodicea. Some of you have heard of it. Remember the lukewarm church? 
You're neither hot nor cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. There's a whole sermon there that's great. We'll dig on it one day. But here's what I will never forget. He said, I don't remember a lot of what was said that day, but he said something that just like penetrated me to the core. He said, we're standing there at the church of Laodicea, and that church, by the way, was the most beautiful church I've ever seen. The building was gorgeous. There was a baptismal right up front. There was a place for people to sit. Like there was spots for their hymn books to go. Like it was like, I walked in and I was like, wow, this is almost like, we're literally in an archaeological dig, but it was almost like modern church. And Clive looks at me and he says, the church was far more interesting, nimble, and quick, and the gospel was far more expansive until they became institutionalized in this building. I'll never forget it. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a building. God willing, we'll probably have a building one day, maybe a couple. But that's beside the point. Here's what I am saying. The church tends to get ingrained and stuck and stops thinking creatively. And sometimes when you're in a box, sometimes when there's nothing else you can do, you do what's in front of you. And that is the very thing the Spirit of God wants you to do, to grow where you're planted, to get out of the box. He wants to birth creativity inside of you and do something unusual that you wouldn't have done if you weren't boxed in. That is the Spirit of God. So my second point is obedience, to actually read the Bible and do what it says. I've called us as a church to be in the one-year Bible. Some of you are going, oh, man, I didn't do it. This is no condemnation. There is now for no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. This isn't condemnation. But let me say this. People who are going to impact broadly are going to do consistently what others do sporadically. People who are going to impact broadly are going to do consistently what other people do sporadically. I believe God has called this little church, and I'm going to use the word little intentionally. I've got an elder who doesn't like when I do, but I'm, I'm, going to, I'm using it for a reason. I believe he has called this little church right now to make a significant impact in the city of Wilmington. And I'm giving my life for it. Now, my heart's desire is that he would raise up a group of people who are actively carrying the gospel into the city. Let me say it like this. Um, Abby and I had an opportunity to church plant through three different organizations. If we wanted to build a big church fast, we should have gone that route. For real. And here's why. It's like, uh, it's almost these days, it's like starting a Chick-fil-A or starting a McDonald's. And I have friends who own both. It's great. But they give you this whole thing and they go, here you go. Here it is. Plug and play. Plug and play. And Abby and I and our group of elders waited and prayed and sought the Lord and went, you know what? We are going to take a risk. We're going to start slower. We're going to start smaller. And we're going to believe that he wants to do something unusual and creative. And I refuse to bottleneck us as a church because I'm waiting to see what God wants to do through you and you and you. What God wants to do through us. As we grow where we're planted, as we embrace the limitations around us, and as we begin to obey him. Oh my goodness, can you imagine how Wilmington could shift? Now, if you're not in a 
one-year Bible. That's a tiny little thing. I'm, fin- I'm finishing my fourth reading through the one-year Bible. I probably should have started 10 years earlier. Because if somebody I respect, literally, there's someone I respect that says, you should have read the one-year Bible uh, one time through. Or, he doesn't say one-year Bible. He says, you should have read the Bible through one time for every year of your life. I'm a little behind. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I imagine there's some things in your life today where you could go, I need to get that in line with the Lord Jesus. Might be a relational thing. Might be an emotional thing. Might be a mental thing. Might be something you look at. Might be the way you deal with finances. Might be the way you speak to your spouse. Might be the way you deal with your kids. I don't know what it is. But here is what I know. God has called you with a purpose and a destiny, and he will require of you, if you will be used at the highest caliber and potential of who you are, to call your entire line and being into line with his. Come on, church. Little David running at Goliath. My third point. How do we get this anointing? How do we live under the anointing? How can we say the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me? Third point, it's the daily surrender and the daily infilling. It's a daily surrender. I would actually say even theologically, Michael's uh, been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I've been filled, I'm being filled, and I will be filled. It's a daily thing. Lord, I humble myself before you and ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would lead me, that you'd conform me, that you would change me, that you would fill me. I, I want to take a risk on something and, and share this because I, I think it could be powerful. Um, I was a leader, a student leader, when I was a freshman at Campus Crusade. I just said the name. I didn't mean to, but there you go. I said it. Uh, at Campus Crusade for Christ at UNCW. And I love Campus Crusade. I love Bill and Vonette Bright that started it, and I love Steve and Judy Douglas um, that I think are still running it. Great organization. But there was a family that came through that organization when I was a freshman and led a whole group of people astray. Uh, the, the couple that are running it now, I have tremendous respect for. They've totally cleaned it up. This was back in the year 2001, so please don't cast any judgment. I didn't mean to say their name, actually. But there it is. Um, but this family came in and led a whole group of us astray. And there's a whole group of people that got fired from Campus Crusade for Christ and uh, staff members. And then I was part of the students. Um, and uh, we all ended up um, moving in a direction that we thought was God. And it wasn't. It wasn't. And the further this train moved down the tracks, the worse it got. It became more and more distant from the actual true theological gospel of Christ Jesus. And My greatest fear and my greatest insecurity as a person and as a pastor is actually uh, deceiving myself and then being a part of leading people astray. 
I don't even know if I could fully unpack for you. It would probably take me an hour to tell you my whole story. It's very painful, very, very painful story. It's still affecting our lives in very real ways. But one of the things, one of the things that I have had to come to the point of is recognizing the power of this daily surrender and daily infilling. In other words, it's not Michael that keeps you safe. It's not a person. It's not a spouse. It's not a set of rules. It is uh, the relationships in the body of Christ. And the way we started Saltbox was so important because I have an elder group that called me um, and is over me. So I am literally a man in authority leading a small church, but I am also a man under authority, which is great safety. Let me give you a little example of this because I think it'll tie together. I was preaching a sermon, it's been almost a year ago now, and we were facing that way. Anybody remember that? We were a smaller group then and we faced that way. I don't know why we faced that way, but we faced that way. And I went on and on and told this uh, really gripping story. And it was a good story and I used it to illustrate my sermon. And one of the elders uh, said to me the next day, that was great. You had everyone captivated. But be careful. You almost took it too far. I loved that. And here's what they were saying. Here's what they were saying. It is possible as a pastor to begin to lead people towards yourself instead of towards Jesus. Now, the value of this daily surrender, this daily infilling, and then the value of being in relationship with people where you go, I don't have this whole thing figured out. Will you walk with me? Will you help me? Can I share with you? Can I invite you into my life? Can I give you feedback and will you give me feedback is absolutely imperative. It's a daily surrender and daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus. My fourth point. is to live under the divine unction. It's kind of what anointing actually means. In uh, 2016, there was a quarterback, and his name was Cam Newton. You guys know Cam? Graceland, smile at me, you know Cam. And Cam started this thing where he did this. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? The dab. That's exactly right. So y'all do it with me. The dab. Now, here's what's interesting. When you actually look at the root word of anoint, it means dab. It means dab. That's what anoint literally means. It means to, dab means to smear uh, oil on you, dab. So Cam Newton, this uh, quarterback, um, is, is literally starting this thing when he wants to celebrate, and he does this. Now, this dab, and you see, you saw kids for a season of time, they're not doing it as much now, but they'd do something cool, and they'd actually go, look at me, look at me. Now, follow me here a second. What Cam was doing was sort of self-centered, egotistical, and narcissistic. Can I, sit, can I be that bold? Look at me, right? Whoa! Thank you. She's doing it. You're dabbing. (laughs) 
when we as a people can say that we live under the anointing of King Jesus, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, when his presence has literally been dabbed on us. I actually believe that God is raising up a church in the city of Wilmington where he wants us to live under the anointing, under the infilling of the Holy Spirit, under the presence and purpose of God. And I am convinced that if a group of people will be willing to consecrate their own hearts and lives, to obey, to find themselves in the word, to put themselves into real relationship with one another, to put themselves underneath the anointing of God most high, to lift up King Jesus that we will never see a city that is the same. I want to live under the anointing. Let's be a church that lives under the anointing. Father, I think when some of us enter eternity and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I don't want to get too far into this, but I do want to say this because I think it's really important. There's going to be a people who are angry at preachers. Because I think us preachers tend to preach what people want to hear and not always what they need to hear. And it's really easy to water this thing down and start preaching only what feels good instead of what needs to be said. Church, listen to me, and this is my final point that I think God has called us as a church to do as we go into 2020. How do we live under the anointing? How do we actually get to the point where each of us could say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. How do we get there? Number four is we follow the cloud. Listen to me, verse 14, it says of chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. If our goal was to do big church, we'd have taken one of the three options to plant where they gave us a plug-and-play model. I'm not against big church. Lord may give us a big church, and that's fine. But here's what we want. Here's the goal. Is that the Lord would begin to unify and rally together a group of people who would come together to change a city. I am interested in seeing the city of Wilmington changed. And what's happened is we've gotten sort of fat and happy in our Christianity, and it's gotten safe, and we've stopped taking risks, and we've stopped pushing the boundary, and we've stopped sharing with our neighbors and inviting people to parties and gathering with them and sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. The goal is to change the city. The goal is not to have a bunch of seats in an auditorium. I don't really care what the building or the auditorium looks like. And listen to me, I'm telling you, if you will get on this and in this with Christ Jesus, he will take you and give you purpose and destiny and help you overcome whatever's going on right now, and he will use you to change the city. If we will learn to live under the anointing. Anointing. Here's what I want to do. Will you put up Acts 10.38 for me, Perry? This is Acts 
and I love this. I have a five-year journal. I talk about that a lot. Some of you have heard me. Somebody recently asked me, what do you write in your five-year journal? So I told them. And then I have a set of declarations that I do every morning or a couple times a week. And at the end of my declarations, I actually quote this verse. For God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing, I think that how's not supposed to be there, Perry. Is that possible? Yeah. Pretend that word's not there. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, I want to do two things here. Two important things. I'm going to have you read this with me, as is. And then I'm going to have you reread it, and I'm going to have you put your name right there. Who... If you're in Jesus, are you in Jesus today? Then who's in you? Who's in you? Let's start over. Are you in Jesus today? Who's in you? God anointed Michael of Wilmington. God anointed Brian of Wilmington. God anointed Eric of Wilmington. Church, the goal is to change the history of a city. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And I want to end this service unusually today. Before we do this, are you willing to be all in and live under the anointing? I'm going to ask you to do something if you are. What, Michael, what do you mean all in? I mean all in. Time, money, resources, talents wherever he's planted you. Are you willing to be all in in terms of a church that wants to change a? Now, here's what I'd rather have in this moment. I'd rather have one or two real genuine people who are like, I'm all in. I am all in today to live under the anointing. Then our whole room stand. But I actually want to give you an opportunity. This has nothing to do with Michael. It doesn't even have to do with our elders. It's an opportunity for you to say before God and before the heavenlies, I am all in to live under the anointing of God. I am all in. It's a big decision, isn't it? It's a weighty decision. I think the Lord intends significant things for this church in this city and the churches of this city and I think he's just beginning so here's my question if you're willing to be all in it's okay if you don't want to stand it's okay no compulsion but as we look as we close out 2019 and as we look towards 2020 if you go you know what I'm all in to grow where I'm planted I'm all in to live under the anointing. I'm all in to the daily infilling 
of the Spirit, the daily surrender. I'm all in to live under divine unction. I'm all in to follow the cloud. If you'd be willing to partner with me and say, I'm all in for how God wants to use us to reach the city in 2020, would you stand? And now here's what I want us to do. I want us to actually read this together. We're going to read it the first time, and we're going to use Jesus of Nazareth up there. And then we're going to read it a second time, and I want you to put your name in there. And then we're just going to pause for a moment of silence. And then I'm going to get up, and we're done, and I'm going to say amen. So let it be done. And we're going to end. Okay? Let's read it through one time all together with Jesus of Nazareth. One, two, three. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all those under the power of the devil because God was with him. I want you to read it again. And I want you to put your name of Wilmington in that spot. One, two, three. God anointed Michael of Wilmington with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all those under the power of the devil because God was with him. Moment of silence. Father, we don't want to play church. Not interested. Lord, we don't necessarily want a big church. Not interested. Lord, we're willing for you to do a big church. But Father, the cry of our heart is to see you transform a city. Lord, the cry of our heart is that you would birth a vision that is so much bigger than any one of us that it would take every one of us. Lord, the cry of our heart is that you would raise up a group of people who are committed to living under the anointing in the power, in the daily empowering and infilling of the Holy Spirit, a group of people who are willing to obey you and follow you, a group of people who are willing to take the message of the cross of Christ Jesus to the streets of Wilmington, North Carolina. Father, in the words of Isaiah in chapter 6, here we are, send us. mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need special prayer, there's a few of us around. Let's hold on the chairs for about five or 10 minutes, and then we'll pack them up.